Okie dog. I hope that hope that this song speaks to you. I know it definitely speaks to me, and hope that it's applicable to all of us. I've been keeping Jesus at a distance, so afraid to let him get too close. Between the two lives I've been living, as if he couldn't see them both. So afraid to feel the warmth of the fire, close enough away for me to hide. But instead of all my running, the darkness and the light. No more Jesus at a distance, no more pushing you away. I don't want to settle for the back row of his Sunday morning faith. So I'm holding nothing back now, cause there's nothing you don't see. No more Jesus at a distance, come change every part of me, every part of me. I was offered resurrection, but I settled for the grave. Had the chance to walk on water, but I chose to play it safe. Far enough for me to fall in, far enough for me to hide. But instead of all my running, you still running after me. No more Jesus at a distance, no more pushing you away. I don't want to settle for the back row of a Sunday morning faith. So I'm holding nothing back now, cause there's nothing you don't see. No more Jesus at a distance, come change every part of me, every part of me. All my dreams and all my treasures. When I can barely hold it together, can't control where tomorrow's going. When the ghost of my yesterdays come calling, who I am when there's no one else around. When the sun comes up till the sun goes down. No more Jesus at a distance, no more pushing you away. I don't want to settle for the back row, some Sunday morning faith. So I'm holding nothing back now, because there's nothing you don't see. No more Jesus at a distance, come change every part of me, every part of me. Every part of me. No more Jesus at a distance. Come change every part of me. Bibles and open to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 
I told uh, several folks this morning uh, that today's sermon for me is kind of like walking through a muddy place with a hand grenade and I'm holding it by the pen. Uh, so I'm going to be tiptoeing a little bit today, uh, but I'm actually just going to share with you what the scriptures say. Uh, we've been speaking for several weeks now about uh, 3D Christianity and how we want our Christianity to affect our castle and everything associated with that, our career, and how those things, when rightly observed, will affect the church. And we're working towards the church. Uh, we have spent some time on the foundation, which is to be like Christ. Uh, we have spent some time on a godly husband. We did so last week, and today we're going to speak about a godly wife. And the title uh, states it all, a godly wife is a submitted wife, just as we would say a godly husband is a loving husband. Um, we could stay in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 22, is very similar to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. You could also read this in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Very, very similar verses, um, all stating the same truth. And I believe we'll read um, down through verse 21 this morning, if you'll stand with me. Colossians 3, you're standing in reverence to the Word of God. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Uh, we're going to focus on verse 18 today. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to not only look at husbands and wives as we have, but look at parents, look at children, and then grandparents. Because I think it's all part of that castle that we talk about. I wonder if you'd go to the Lord with me now and you pray for me as I pray for you. I wonder if you'd ask the Lord to reveal to you truth that you've not seen before, give you light so that you might walk in it. Father, we thank you for this good day. Lord, we're grateful for our time together. We're so thankful for the wonderful worship that we have enjoyed already and the talent that has been on display. God, that is talent given by you. And we're grateful that we're able to exercise it back as a part of the body. Lord, as we come to uh, this time of worship in word, arguably the most important time of our morning, God, I pray that you would settle us, and you would calm our spirits, and that you would quiet our minds, Lord, that we would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts unto the truth, and then God, I pray that 
that you, through the blessed Holy Spirit of God, would do a work that only you can do. Lord, I pray that as we see light, we'll step into light. And as we hear truth, we'll walk in accordance with truth. And as we have opportunity, Lord, we'll be obedient unto you. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we would walk differently than when we arrived, saying truly it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Father, I love you this morning. I'm grateful, and I pray that you'd bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have discovered over the last few weeks the origin, the order, the obligation, and the opportunity of Christian marriage. So as we speak, uh, whether we are speaking about a husband or a wife, as we speak about marriage, we understand that marriage is an institution of God. Therefore, He is the authority. Not the world, not society, not your heart and your emotions and your feelings, but God. Because he is the, the architect of marriage and it is an institution of God. We also understand that it's not a requirement of every believer to be married. Uh, that's silliness. Uh, to require one or the other would be uh, at least uh, extra scriptural, but uh, a lie because it's not required either way. We also understand that marriage is between one man and one woman. That is godly marriage. And we understand that it is until death do us part. And we understand that as is relative to the latter portion of that, divorce happens. Good, bad, and ugly. Uh, but we know the design of God is one man and one woman until death parts us. We, we also have further defined a Christian marriage as a, a marriage between a Christian male and a Christian female. I know that's not profound, but uh, it needs to be stated that a Christian marriage is a marriage that is Christian in character, constitution, and construction. It's not... Something that we do externally that makes it a Christian marriage. It is internally a Christian marriage between two Christian individuals. And, and we spoke about that. And that means that the, the marriage of a Christian man and a Christian woman, according to the principles of the Scripture, under the watch care of God, that is a Christian marriage. The question then becomes, and this is the question we, we began to answer last week, uh, concerning how the parties within the marriage perform and what are the characteristics and responsibilities of a Christian husband or wife or father or mother. Last week we looked at the husband and today we want to consider the role of a godly wife in marriage. As I thought about uh, how we would approach this, I thought it was probably best uh, to do so with a question. Let's just ask a question about the role of a godly wife or what is a godly wife, let's ask a question and then answer the question from this verse and the scriptures that support it. And so this is the question. Why must a Christian wife submit unto her Christian husband? What about that is qualified? 
What is, why do we say that? Well, I think that we can see it in this one verse, and then, of course, in the structure of the Scriptures. First, I want us to understand that the reason that a Christian wife must submit unto her Christian husband is that it is a primary responsibility. It is a primary responsibility. If we look at this verse, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. What we see in that verse, and again, if you read Ephesians 5, 22, 1 Peter 3, 1, they're very, very similar. You could almost interchange them and not disrupt the passage. What we see is there are three phrases or three clauses in that sentence. Wives, submit yourselves. The second one, unto your own husbands. The third one, as it is fit in the Lord. And so we could extrapolate that to say, wives, submit yourselves. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Wives, submit yourselves as it is fit in the Lord. There's three phrases. There's three clauses there. And so we would look at each one, and the first thing we see is that the, the first order, the, the primacy of action, is the first of responsibilities, wives, submit yourselves. Do you see that? It is a personal action. You submit yourself. It's not husband cause your wife to submit. It is not husband make your wife to submit. It is not husband demand your wife to submit. It is as it is fit in the Lord, as you do, if you look at verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wives, submit yourselves. It is a primary responsibility. And, and we see the, the primacy of the action, the first of responsibilities listed for the wife. It's interesting. I made the comment last week, and, and I haven't, I'm not changing my mind, uh, that the husband is to love first. I believe that is factual if we look at the way that Christ loved. And so we are to love the way that Christ loved. However, Larry Christensen comments in his book, uh, and, and I just noted it this week as I was reading over this, this material, that, that it is the wife's first responsibility to submit, then the husband to love. I don't agree with that, but I do agree with this, that the two uh, activities are reciprocal of one another and therefore likely simultaneous in God's eyes. One is as important as the other and one is not excused by the absence of the other. It is a primary responsibility. So, so we would see that primary responsibility. And we said last week, and I, I want to be very, very crystal clear about this, uh, because I believe that women, uh, wives in, in general, should be treated well. Uh, it grates on me to see somebody mistreat their wife. I don't understand. I don't comprehend it. And, and so I want to make it clear. It is indeed a response that is reciprocal to the husband's love. As the husband loves the wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So we would see this relative issue of, of this primary responsibility. We would also see it in these verses, these three verses, but we could support it from, if we go all the way back to the creative order, we could support it. 
When we consider creative order, we could also support it with a thematic redundancy of culture that we see in the scripture. That the, the one is to uh, protect and provide for the other, and the other is to submit and, and serve under this one. We can see it under the admonitions of the Apostle Paul. Paul would talk in the book of Romans how that the woman was first deceived. And there has been uh, great detail in that, that if Adam would have been where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do, in that moment, the woman would not have fallen under deceit. And that the, the deception of the woman was certainly a failure, but the failure belonged under the husband because he had not properly prepared and protected the female. And Paul would make that point. And, and we would hear the Apostle Peter uh, regarding uh, the woman uh, that, that husbands ought to treat her as the weaker vessel. And we defined that last week. Weaker uh, meaning, I want you to think fine china. The difference between stoneware and fine china. And you treat your wife as if she is that fine china. She is, she is uh, precious and, and special. And it should be honored. And by the same token, we see these pictures of, of relationships. And then someone could very easily, as they have, pervert and misrepresent the truth. And they say, well, you're just devaluing women. Nonsense. Because we would look in the same Bible, in the same scriptures, in similar context, and we would see the Proverbs 31 lady and how her value is far beyond anything. We would read in the Proverbs how when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And we would understand the context of that. And we would read about the heroics of Esther. And we would read about the, the bravery of Rahab. And we would read about the courage of Deborah. And we would read about the prayerfulness of Hannah and the blessing of womanhood in childbearing. There is no disrespect pervade unto the female faction in the scriptures unless you first pervert and out of context share the scriptures. So, we see that, but we also understand that there can be no question as to the responsibility and the responsible party and action called for in this passage. Wives, submit yourselves. That's what it says. I, I think that maybe we could ask a couple of questions here as well that might would provide. I, I see three questions that I think we can answer. What does submit mean? To whom are you submitting? And where is the line of demarcation? So what does submit mean? When, when we see that, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband or let the women be in submission. When we see that, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. <laughs> what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean diminutive. It does not mean lesser or inferior. Those are societal words, they're not scriptural words. That is not what it means. It has no impact. The idea of submit or to submit has no impact on equality. Certainly not in the eyes of God. It does not have any impact on the idea of importance in the program of God. In fact, 
it could be argued that the women are more important because of childbirth. So what does it mean? Well, it means to rank under or to be in order or organize underneath. It means to be subordinate. It is literally a military term. It is an organizational term. I had a lady argue this with me one time, and unfortunately, there's two things I don't do well. I don't argue well, um, and I've never been in the military. So uh, I can say what I believe, but I can't substantiate it. And argument is, uh, is wasteful when you're talking about the Word of God because either the Holy Spirit helps you with it or He doesn't. And I'm not going to argue you into agreeing with me. But at any rate, I made the comment to a lady one time. We were talking about this very thing. And I made the comment to her that uh, in the military, there's no equality difference or importance difference between a colonel and a private. There's a rank difference. But one is as important as the other. In fact, I believe, and I'm, I'm seeing some military guys nod, and I'm so thankful that you guys are nodding because I'm not a military guy. Uh, I believe that the private may be more important because you don't see the colonels out there on the front line doing the grunt work, right? And so there's, there's no equality difference. They are not looked at as one is of lesser importance than the other. They only rank different. That's, that's the idea behind this military term. It, each has their position and their responsibility, but both are equally important. In the biblical plan of marriage, the husband is the head, but he is not more important than the wife, and the wife is not less important. Both are necessary and equally valuable. But there's somebody has to be the head. Uh, I know you guys probably get tired of me quoting Adrian Rogers, but if you don't know, there's an entire book of Adrianism. He's a very quotable individual. And this is something that he says, anything with no head is dead, and anything with two heads is a freak. <laughs> it's very true about marriage. Somebody's got to be in charge, right? Somebody's got to be the responsible party, responsible to authorities and such. The book of James would state it a little differently. And, and again, I think this is where Dr. Rogers was pulling some of his inspiration. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's true about marriage as well. If both parties are making decisions obscure of one another, there's going to be a problem, right? There's going to be an issue. And so someone has to be the head. And submit to submit simply means to arrange yourself under the head, and listen, very important, in reality, the head is Christ. Okay? So that answers asking the next question and answers the next question. We, we understand what submit means. Well, to whom are you submitting? Well, we, we stated this last week, and it's been stated many times over the years, but in complying with God's order for the family, we're indeed submitting to Christ. So if the husband is not in submission to Christ... 
He cannot possibly love his wife the way that Christ loved the church because if he's not in submission to Christ, he is going to be in submission to self and self always seeks self irrespective of whom else is involved. And so we understand that the husband submitting to Christ is absolutely necessary in order to love the wife the way that Christ loved the church. Likewise, when the wife submits to the husband, she is literally submitting to the headship of Christ. That's why it removes this idea of you do and I will. No, less both. But either way, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to submit to Christ or I'm going to love, serve Christ. When we do that, we're seeking to serve Christ in humility and in our service. And if we do that uh, correctly, as is fit in the Lord, the scripture would say, we may win the other. That does not mean, by the way, that the wife is commanded to be submissive regardless of the husband's behavior. Now, I told you last week, the two aren't relative to one another. Both are equally responsible. But there's, there's a line. It doesn't mean that the wife is to be submissive no matter what the husband says or does. But what it does is it affords a certain grace to the marriage situation that as the wife submits to the husband, she is submitting unto the Lord. It is her testimony. So... We see what does submit mean and we see who you're submitting to. Well, where is that line? Because this is the favorite conversation, right? It doesn't matter what you're talking about. You, you start talking about abortion, somebody's going to bring up the absolute worst case scenario. Put you in a spot where you, you, know, you look like an animal if you answer honestly. Same thing happens when you start talking about this. So at what point can someone refuse to submit and still consider themselves to be in the center of God's will. Or more simply put, when is it okay to not submit? And what we call those, I think, again, I'm not a good arguing individual, so therefore I'm not a good debater. And I don't know debate terms, but I think that's a straw man argument. I think that's what you would say that is. The straw man argument has the, 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 the act of inventing or creating the worst possible case scenario imaginable and then seeking to excuse the expected behavior based on that argument, right? So you'll hear kids do this too, by the way. If you work in children's ministry, not children as much as youth, uh, when, you, when we start talking in a couple weeks about honoring your mother and father, they're going to tell you how bad their mom and dad are. Now, that doesn't always happen in a church environment. You work in a camp environment, it happens. And can I tell you something? A lot of times they're telling the truth. Uh, it is bad. Uh, it's very difficult to answer those questions because you've brought in the worst of human nature into it. What, how do we answer that? Well, this is what I would say. If the husband is acting in direct opposition to the revealed will of God, then the wife should not submit. This is the problem with that. And it is the husband's responsibility, and he's going to answer for it, but this is a problem with that. The reason that God establishes order is for protection. The reason that men are to be under the headship of Christ is because it is the safest place that we can be, 
and it lessens the authority by which we must act of our own accord. We have the authority of Christ under which to act and therefore receive the protection of Christ. In the same model, the reason the wife is to submit under the husband is because there are certain things that God did not design the female to do. And when they are out from under submission to the husband, then they are forced to do those things. Well, is that wrong? Well, it's not particularly wrong that they did them. It's wrong that they were put in a position to do them. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? There is an order there for protection. There is an arrangement to be protected. It goes the same. I'm looking at my daughter here. I can't help it. I'm looking at her. It goes the same for a young lady who is not married and living at home. Your spiritual head is your father. He's responsible for you. There is protection that he affords. You're responsible for her. And, and you have to answer that. You've got to stand up in that moment. That's why I get so, so vehement when I talk about fathers who hand the care of their daughter over to their mother. It's not her responsibility. It's your responsibility. You're the father. You ought to bear up under that burden, no matter what it means, no matter how bad she dislikes you. And there was a time Kayla didn't like me. It's very difficult to understand because I'm a likable guy. But we did what we had to do, right? So, so can, the, can the wife get out from under the headship of the husband? Well, she can, but you have to understand it exposes her to, to dangers which God did not intend for her to contend with. Those things were meant to be contended with by a spiritually correct male. Do you see how quickly things start running off the rails when you don't act right, Dad? Now mom has got to make decisions she shouldn't have to make. So the short of it is this, and and I think this is probably the best advice anybody could give you when you think about when do I not submit. Well, it's impossible to handle every scenario, but this is what I would say. If you will seek, wife, I'm talking to you, if you will seek through prayer and study to obey and submit to the Lord. You cannot go wrong. Do you hear me? Does that mean sometimes you may end up in a situation where your husband is a scoundrel and you have to get out on your own and make some decisions? Maybe so, but you need to be in prayer and study submitted to the Lord. Right? And there's protection in that. Submission is a primary responsibility. Secondly, it is a primary responsibility to a personal relationship. This is a personal relationship. Wives, submit yourselves to who? Your own husband. That's interesting. There's, there's a lot of undertone in that. And I can see how we might would blow past it, but we should not. So the second phrase talks about your own husband. So this is what we know. The principles that we're talking about in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 5, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the principles that we're talking about are aimed at married folks. 
married individuals. There's a certain connotation that goes with that. Right? Because you didn't you weren't born married. You chose to and then went through things to be married. You are a married individual. So what we understand is this is to them. It is to people who have committed unto one another to become one. That's what marriage does. The two cleave together and the twain shall become one. Let not man put asunder that thing which God has put together. And so there is, it is speaking to those. So the presumption should lend itself to the fact or the truth that we are talking to people who have become one. Your own husband. The other half of who you are. So we recognize that. And when we consider the two becoming one, then we must consider the self-benefit involved in the relationship being perpetrated according to the scriptures. Right? So you're... If, if a husband is loving his wife, his Christian wife, he's a believer, she's a believer, they're married, the two are trying to become one, and he is loving her as Christ loved the church, it is beneficial to himself to love her as Christ loved the church because she is the other half of him. Likewise, if a Christian woman married to a Christian man in a Christian marriage is submitted unto the Lord and submitted to her husband, it is beneficial to herself to be in that submitted relationship. If, if it helps one, it benefits the other because the two are one. It's a personal responsibility. There's two things I would say about that in that personal responsibility. And I think these are a little bit more uh, in, the, in the line of a direct comment. First, he is your commitment, ladies. He's your commitment. When you married him, you committed unto him your trust and respect. That's what you did in the marriage ceremony. He's your commitment. And likewise, when he married you, he committed to provide and protect. You say, well, that's not what our vow said. It makes no difference what your vow said. You got married in America. That is what you were saying. He was saying, I'm Tarzan and you're Jane. And I'm going to fight off all the beasts in the world to protect you. That's what was happening. He, you, he is your commitment. Th those vows that, that are stated at a wedding are oftentimes, uh, they're, they're, sometimes they're manipulated, you know, I wrote my own vows and all that, and, and it's fine, it, it, I'm not, we're not here to talk about that. It, a lot of times they're just kind of rattled off. You know what the Bible says about, about, about a vow? It is better to never vow than to vow and not keep it. You can excuse the word vow in 90% of the activities in your life if you choose to. But those things that you do at a wedding, those are called vows. Why? Because they're vows. And when you said that, when you made that vow, you were making a commitment. He is your commitment. Now, those vows are 
Commitment and consecration. So this is what the truth comes out. It doesn't matter how the world views those vows. <laughs> it does not matter what the world says about those vows. We're not obligated or to, to please or agree with society's views on vows. Because society did not create you. God did. And a societal marriage is not a Christian marriage. A Christian marriage is done under the watch care of God. So what society or the world says about those vows doesn't matter. We're not obligated uh, or, or to, to be intellectually motivated by Hollywood's interpretation of these values. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. I don't care if they get married two dozen times. That's, they got the money to do that. Because <laughs> that's what that takes. That takes money. Lots of it. It doesn't matter. We, we're not, we should not be intellectually motivated by Hollywood's interpretation. That means the way they actually live or the way they portray it on the TV or in the movies. That's not Christian marriage. It's something else. It's, uh, it's, it's a form of worship, but it is not worshiping God. It's worshiping self. We, we should not be emotionally inspired by Nashville's interpretation of these values. What they sing about on the radio, that's not Christian marriage. That is a lie. It is a lie to keep you out of a happy, satisfied, God-centered Christian marriage. It's a lie. It, you're not, you should not be motivated by that. You shouldn't be inspired by that. Those people, by the way, are not responsible for your actions. You are. So we would ask very simply, why should you submit to your husband? Well, because at some point in time, you said, I do. And you should have meant, I will. <laughs> it's a commitment. Yes. The, the second part of that is, not only is he your, your commitment, you are his completer. The two become one. I stated this last week, uh, and again, this is, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, an Adrian Rogers quote. But Eve was made to be Adam's completer, not his computer. He's, he's the one that stated that. He also said that Eve was made for Adam and not for Steve. That, there's an important thing right there too, but you worry about that later. Uh, your husband is incomplete without you, ladies. He is incomplete without you, and you are incomplete without him. Every healthy married couple realizes that, and every married couple that does not realize that is not healthy. If you have friends that disagree with that, their marriage is not healthy. You better not be imitating that marriage. You may as well imitate the one Nashville sings about or Hollywood portrays because that's the direction it's heading. If you're just as good, in your mind, you're just as good without your spouse as you are with them, and that is your prevailing attitude in life, eventually you're going to make one call and that's all. Right? You hear me? Yes, sir. You are not. If you were married in the eyes of God to the one that God set aside for you, you are not as good without them as you are with them. They complete you. 
Carla has, has made me and is making me a whole person. I can say that unashamedly. It is a fact. In fact, if God chooses to separate us by death, and, and Lord, I hope he doesn't, but if he chooses to separate us by death, whichever one of us is left will be less than a whole person until God completes us again, whatever means he uses to do that. And if you know anybody in your life that has lost a spouse, you know that's true. They are incomplete without that other person. Well, they... We should know that while we're living, not after we're dead. And we should live in accordance with that. When, you're, when you married your husband, I hope you didn't marry him as a project. I hope that he was all that you needed when you married him. But as we mature, we should want the best for one another. We should desire to see the other person grow and mature and be committed to helping them be their best. And we do that, listen, not by grooming and instructing, but by loving and encouraging and becoming the rest of them, completing them. And that's reciprocal. You're not the Holy Spirit in his life, but you are very important to who he is and who he's going to become. A godly wife submits because it's a primary responsibility to a personal relationship, lastly, which is a proper response. That's what it means when it says, as is fit in the Lord. That literally, that, that final clause there, that phrase, it is fit in the Lord, as it is fit in the Lord, it basically means as is proper or fitting or as is expected. The amplified paraphrase states it this way, as is right and fitting and your proper duty in the Lord. Right, that's a pretty clear explanation. And I believe we can view that in two ways. First, it's expedient for the marriage. The second, it's expected by the Lord. So what we understand is that this is the best thing for the marriage. It is the most productive action for the health of the marriage. It is the response that will most benefit the marriage and make it strong. So we would say, okay, can we argue, fuss, and fight? Well, sure. But it's not the most edifying atmosphere for the marriage. What did Paul say? He was talking about personal behaviors, but he said, all these things are lawful, but they're not expedient. So can you live in a war zone? Well, sure you can. But it's not very edifying. Who wants to live that way? Could we, could we jockey for control back and forth as if we're playing some kind of game of tug of war? Well, sure we could, but it's not a very enjoyable atmosphere. Are there successful marriages wherein the actual order is incorrect? Well, possibly, but I think, I think it depends on your metric for success. How do you define success? Are there successful marriages in God's eyes that are in the wrong order? No, there are not. That would be a pretty straight answer. Second, and most importantly, it's expected by the Lord. There's no mystery as to what the Bible teaches concerning marriage and the order of the Christian home. From inception, it has been well defined, and historically speaking, we said this already, it's been agreed upon. It can be, and it has been argued or wrongly defined, but only by 
manipulating words and concepts and themes. The husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. The wife is to submit because this is fit. It is fitting, it is proper, it is dutiful, and it is expected by the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Last week, we spoke to husbands. This week, we've spoken to wives. The invitation is for both. Are you the spouse that God would define as fit in the Lord? Because if you are not, there's, there's not a book that's going to help you. There's not a class. There's not a sermon. There's not a podcast. It's a heart condition between you and the Lord. And the heart of the problem is a problem in your heart. Are you the spouse that God would define as fit in the Lord? The altar's open this morning if you'd like to do business with God. Lord, we love you this morning. We're thankful for this day. Lord, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Sing that last chorus. Trust and obey, for there's no 